Welcome to the ELA cast. I'm Zach Chase, and for this recording, I got to sit down with Diana Lothenberg, the executive director of Inquiry Schools. We talked about how teachers can approach student inquiry and student-centered learning without feeling like they have to overhaul all of their practice. Sit back and enjoy. Hi, who are you and what do you do? My name is Diana Lothenberg. I'm the executive director of Inquiry Schools, and I spend a significant portion of time helping teachers understand the role of inquiry and student-centered instruction in their classroom. What did those two words mean when you say them? So inquiry um, is a, well, first of all, it's just a human quality, um, which is kind of funny when people say that. From an instructional standpoint, it's the idea that students come to your classroom as curious beings interested in the world around them and are needing an outlet and a place in which to um, follow down the path of their own inquiry for their learning and helping teachers to um, open up the doors for students to pursue paths of their own inquiry and their own questions and their own curiosity within the school day. Um, student-centered. And student-centered is the idea that a classroom space needs to value the students as much as the teachers and that um, the students' ideas, who the students are, um, what students are interested in should have a very pervasive role in the course of their own educational experience. So there are some folks who think uh, around inquiry and student-centered, oh my gosh, I have to overhaul everything I'm doing because what I'm doing right now does not meet, like, I can't say that about everything that I do. You've worked with, you're working with schools across the country. Yes. Teachers across the country. Yep. Uh, do you go in and say, here's the program? So one of the things I think is least effective is um, having teachers adopt a program of inquiry or overhaul their entire curriculum all at once. Um, I've never actually seen that work well. Okay. So you're not from the government and here to help. So what are some practices? Some, so it sounds like we're talking about making some like micro or medial shifts in practice in, in classrooms. What are some things that you've worked with teachers to do that you've, that have been little shifts that they've made practically that's kind of a, oh, that did move me? So some of the early stuff has to do with just thinking about the systems and structures of your classroom, about what it says about who gets to talk, whose ideas get to lead, and, and kind of how that works. One of the simplest things that I have folks evaluate is how they have students come to read. Um, a lot of teachers follow a path of um, everybody reads something, then everybody um, everybody reads something, and then everybody comes together to answer comprehension questions, and then they might discuss it, and then they do something interesting. And for your struggling readers, there's a lot of kids that aren't interested in the reading because they might struggle with reading as a concept, and then they don't really know what they're reading, so then they struggle with that. They didn't get the questions, so when those are being discussed, they're feverishly writing down answers but still not understanding what's going on. By the time they get to the point that's interesting, they're lost. They're so they're, they're tangled up, yep, that, it, or they turned off. Correct, they're just not with you anymore. Right. And so, so, so that is an ineffective practice. You're not recommending that. So the way that you, you basically remix that, leave all of the parts there if you want to, but why are we leaving the interesting part of learning as some kind of dessert? Like the the suggestion I make is to take something interesting and hook an engagement style 
and place it at the front before everybody reads. So two minutes of video, um, a graph, a chart, some sort of visual, something interesting so that students that really struggle with the written word text on a page have some foundational information about what they're going to go read, what they're going to go experience, what they're going to go do, so that when they come to the reading, they maybe come in with their own questions, they come in with their own interests, their own curiosity. So they're looking for something. Correct. And that something that they're looking for comes from them. It's not, what does the teacher want me to find here? Correct. As, as, I'm, as I'm going through, which... Right, and so it's it's a but then go through all the rest of the steps if right. that's what you feel is is your day needs. So it it's not a matter of necessarily all the time changing everything, but really looking at the the order in which you do things and whether or not you're getting the return on the investment of time. So if half of the kids are lost by the end of your reading assignment, how might you reorder what you have them doing so that when they come to the reading, they're more prepared to be there and more interested to be there. Then I would say, if you kind of got there, then the next question becomes, how do you increase more choice in what kids then read? So are there, based on the questions kids might have come out of that inquiry snack, that appetizer piece at the beginning, what might uh, a few different ways that they could go with that reading and, and leave them some choice at that point in time? Um, but it can start with just everybody's doing this, you know, the same thing that you've been doing, but really paying attention to the fact that kids don't all the time want to read what you want them to read because you want them to read it. And you're not necessarily saying open up the floodgates to let the kids choose anything. absolutely anything, but you're saying kind of teacher operating in a curatorial mode to say, here are the things that I, through my professional judgment, know are high quality. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, but, I, but, but if a student chooses any one of these, we're good. They're going to move further down the, the learning path than if they have not chosen anything. Correct. Um, when the, and this was the piece when I was in the English classroom, right? It was, I, I knew that we, like, we had the silent bargain with kids of, I know you're not really reading it, but if you can stay quiet and not disruptive, then... Well, I'll look the other way. Right. And I will ask the questions in such a way that you could probably eke out like mm -hmm. a C or a D, so we're still fine and nobody's failing. But um, nobody's reading either. And I, yeah. And and that's the thing. Um, the the thing, the reason and the point at which I think teachers should evaluate whether or not they need to increase options for reading, are, uh, think about the last time you had a page long email from your admin. How much did you want to go read that? Was that something like, oh yeah, I can't wait, or did you look at that, go, hmm, that's really long and then wait till the next classroom break and walk up to your neighbor that's super type A and reads everything and say, right. hey, could you tell me what the principal said? Because you didn't want to read that either. Um, really coming down to, there's well, a- and, and then, let's, let's mm -hmm. right? And so the person tells you what was important to them, but it wasn't necessarily what you needed to see. And so then later you're in a faculty meeting and somebody turns to you and says, hey, Zach, did you do that thing? And you're- Completely like, confused. What? I don't know. Right. Uh, so there's th there's that component as well. Right. And but just recognizing that we as humans find ourselves in a difficult spot, in 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 a motivational place for reading, and that what kids struggle with, the adults struggle with as well. It's just a very human, a human thing. Yeah. One of the uh, I was reading um, a book the other day that was talking about making sure that reading is the most interesting thing that is available. Um, reducing the number of other options students have as they're going through their day, which I think is also the same thing, right? Like, how do we, and it's not edu 
edutainment. Willingham. I'm looking at my bookshelf as we're talking. Uh, and so it's 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 not like how do I entertain the children, but well, how do I make it interesting? And and having their questions drive that. So the one of the fifth grades that I work with um, in Philadelphia had a a rocky experience last year with everybody reading the same book at the same time and they decided they didn't want to do that again and so they bought a few copies of 12 different books that were um kind of the graphic novel style Mm -hmm. to start the year and when i was there there were a couple of boys that were having trouble in their other classes and they needed a break and they were hanging out in the hall with me and i said hey can i go get your reading book um, so that you have something to do right now. And they went, yeah, that'd be great. And they both were super excited that I delivered to them their reading book because they were super interested in, in what that was about. But they got to choose out of 12 books. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get another round and another, you know, they're going to go through several of these. And what they're finding is that that level of choice really becomes because they're, they're interested in it. Mm-hmm. So therefore they're reading. So therefore they're putting more words in front of themselves and, you know, having more of an experience, positive experience as a reader, trying to come to a, uh, you know, a point of this is what, this is, this, this is what I find interesting about reading right. to then start building a more sophisticated set of reading experiences as the year goes on, but having a really solid high interest, right. positive experience with reading that includes choice to then build off of to help them become a more sophisticated chooser of books. Well, and it, and it for me, in the, as an English teacher, having to pull back from the idea that I'm going to get every kid to love the books that I love and realizing that is not my job, right? There is nowhere in a curriculum or a standard that says the children will love these titles uh, and realizing that my, that my main goal was getting kids to see themselves as readers, to enjoy reading, and to know how to do it for multiple purposes. And so open, that, that opened up choice to me because it was, oh my gosh, you don't all have to love the latest Bill Bryson book. Uh, some of you will, some of you won't, but I need you to know why you do and why you don't. And, and that's also that inquiry piece of it, which is they're, they're going through life trying to answer a different set of questions that they find interesting and feed themselves then a reading habit that attends to their own questions. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't say that, you know, so me, you know, 40-year-old white lady knows what a fifth-grade African-American boy that lives in Philadelphia, what they're interested in. You mm-hmm. know, like, I'm not, I know what I like, but it's not going to be the same thing that they like. And really letting their life experience, who they are, and what they find interesting drive the process through which they find themselves a reader. So I want to... I'm thinking of one of the frequent criticisms that comes up when, when I talk with teachers, and it's like, well, but then they won't care about my topic, like topic X. And so you taught kids uh, history, social studies in in the classroom. Uh, and they loved every minute. Yeah, they I'm loved sure. every topic. I it's, know those. They were so excited. That I w- met those students. I taught them. I know that's not true. That war but, of 1812, so exciting. But what exciting. you didn't say was, uh, I hope you're interested in history and social studies because people are not inherently interested in everything, right? I, like, I never assumed people, like, kids would come in and say, you seem like a really nice person. I'm not a big reader. Right. Good luck, right. basically, <laughs> is what they were saying. And so it's, it, student inquiry and choice doesn't mean that we assume kids are naturally curious about things about which they do not know. Correct. So it, I think that, that first piece, right, um, that, hey, what do you see here? What's interesting? What's interesting? What are some questions? Well, yeah. Like, 
saying, we're going to come up with questions about this. Not having kids walk in and being like, do you have any questions about anything? No, I wouldn't. I'd be like, meaning of life. Um, well, it also puts kids back in a, a passive role that what you expect what you expect out of them that they have some background knowledge of which they do not have. Right. And so rather than assume... Because it still is about the learning and the teaching, as it turns out. Turns out. Um, the the interesting thing for me is to take something that, that you know they don't care about, <laughs> right. which a lot of my content fell in that subject area, um, and, and really find a path to start them down that starts from a very human place rather than a curricular place. Mm -hmm. So rather than saying like, what does my curriculum need at this moment? It's more, what is the human component at, at which they will, will resonate with them, that they will connect with them, that they will find relevant. And then how do I step toward my curriculum rather than the way that I think about it, if you were in a space, you stand in one corner of the room yelling, my content's awesome, please come learn my content. And they're like, eh, I don't think so. Versus, I have something super interesting over here, and I'm going to walk towards you so that you can see it, and then you're going to walk a little bit towards me because it's interesting, and all of a sudden they're back over in your corner with you mm -hmm. learning about hard content, but they didn't get there because you kept telling them how awesome your hard content was. You got them there because you found something that was meaningful, relevant, interesting, engaging, um, about that that resonated with them on a human level, and then allowed them to see the door into your content with it. And that's the inquiry piece as well. So I'm also hearing kind of implied there that like knowing some facts is also still important in the modern age, right? Because I think we also think that inquiry means like having general ideas is important, but like knowing some facts is probably helpful in the world. So one of the more advanced tricks of inquiry that I see is, is helping them figure that out by not telling them. So if you start out a full process of inquiry is that you lead them through a process that allows them to collect those facts, but mm -hmm. not because you had a PowerPoint that told them the facts, but because you had an engaging experience that made them genuinely curious that they then sought out reading and information about, which allowed them to build background. And then from that, they were able to create something new, unique and interesting from their learning that allowed them to evidence the application, the more critical thinking, the more um, synthesis level of learning around that versus I tell you what's interesting about this and then go because that that shortcuts the actual student inquiry and questions. And the most well-meaning piece that I've done and seen is teachers saying you're going to need to know these things. Right, I and like I, I just need you to know. This. I just need you to know this. Versus students getting to the, I need to know some of these things, um, and it sounds harder than it is. And we also have to trust, we have to trust the process a little bit, which is tough. Um, and they might not end up with the exact same set of facts that I have predetermined. But then I go back to, there is not a set of facts that a curriculum or that a set of standards necessarily says that I need to know. Um, in, our, in an English language arts, there's some things we need to know how to do. There's some familiarity with those things. But I know, the, I start with what are the real experiences that people do that activate those facts and those pathways? And then how do I create that in a level that is appropriate, that, that, is cur that inspires the curiosity and the inquiry in my students? The, and the, the key to that whole thing is accepting that what you believe as the teacher is important needs to 
have the flexibility to wrap around student interest and engagement and all of those things. Because if the kids aren't interested and engaged, you can keep feeding them as much background knowledge as you want. Or if they're pretending to be interested and engaged. Right. I mean, well, that's compliance. That's that's just nice kids being nice. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that that is having any amount of stick in your brain when you need to recall it later or to use it in a more advanced way. That is kids being nice. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of really nice children. Um, that will sit there and do what you ask. Um, it doesn't mean that that information is going to be with them in a couple of months or that they can recall that and use that in a productive way later. What I have found is when kids start from a level of their own questions, their own curiosity, and they have something in their brain that needs to get f filled by an answer, that they will go sort it out. Um, you know, kids are actually really good at inquiry. We just forget. And they're really good at practicing things and figuring things out because they're on a football field or because they're playing the violin or because they want to figure out a video game. You want to watch an inquiry process happen? Sit a kid down with a video game they've never played and watch them ask questions and find answers because they are motivated to do so. So kids have this capacity. We just forget to ask them to use it in a learning, in a formal learning environment. All right. So, Diana. Yes, Zach. Anything you would recommend folks who think, oh, that's interesting. Anything that you've been reading recently that you would recommend folks take a look at? Um, I I will say that you'll you'll find quite a bit online right now around inquiry um, through places like Edutopia and MindShift at KQED. So they're blogging fairly regularly about concepts that include inquiry. Um, there is also uh, QFT and the Right Question Institute, which has just make just one change. Make the just name of the book. Yep, and they and and they have for those of you who still need quite a bit of structure and feel like there's there's something more form uh, formal around it. I would suggest that that's something that's interesting. Um, and then um, there's a book as well by Wendy Ostroff called Cultivating Curiosity that I think is a teacher-facing book that can be really interesting. But you're going to find inquiry popping up in a more trendy fashion, I think. Um, I'm seeing it a lot more being presented at conferences and a lot more a part of the conversation. And it lines um, up, I might say, with the learning sciences. Uh, turns out that this isn't... In inquiry is one of the oldest ideas of education that exists. It's like Socrates, Plato old, it's it's Dewey old, right. it's might, new old. It's one of those fun books, Experience in Education <laughs> huh. by John Dewey. Uh, it's a little older, right? a free PDF if you find it online. <laughs> uh, thank you, Diana. Where can people get in touch with you if they have questions? I am on the Twitter at, a, at D. Loffenberg, and then I also can be reached by email, dloffenberg at gmail.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you, Zach. Thanks to Diana Loffenberg for sitting down with me today, and thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the ELA cast, please rate or review us on Stitcher or iTunes so that it's more likely that other folks will be able to find our podcast. If you'd like to join us on one of our recordings, please send an email to chase underscore Zachary at svvsd.org.